welcome to the Sparks Baconian podcast. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Max Sather to the show. Max and I first met over a year ago when we were delivering a workshop for a client. We realized there was a lot more to the conversation that we needed to have on this podcast. And that revolved around the world of psychological safety and purpose and how do we build a better organization that truly engages people for the journey. Now, a lot of people talk about purpose and they talk about psychological safety. What Max does is he helps the two come together. So we really understand how building those two into a business really does engage people for a sustainable business success in the future. Listen out for Max's three key points. We always say listen out because what we can't do is hold you to account for the actions you take as a result of this show. What we want to do is provide you with information that you can use and deliver and help you transform your world within your business. And these three points Max brings will really give you a leg up to help your business succeed. Now, when we talk the word purpose, purpose, what we often talk about is how to build people into the business. And we want to build a businesses where it's building something that actually the commercial reality comes true as well. But we do it first and foremost from a point of view of how do we change the societies and the communities in which we live for a better world longer term. As we know, when we do that, we better engage people. And that's when the world of business truly comes alive. And guess what? We make more money through doing it, but purpose comes first. If you have any comments, please feed them back into the show. If you have other people you believe that would benefit from this, please also let them know about this show itself. Because we know that only through connecting can we help transform the world. As Steve Jobs said, we want to make a ding in the universe. Ours is by doing it, by looking at the world of purpose. And that's what Max brings to the show. Enjoy it. Let me know what your thoughts. Have fun. Welcome back to the Sparks Baconian podcast. I'm Phil Rhodes, your host, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Max Saylor. Max and I met over a year ago through a client relationship. Um, and over that time, Max and I had a number of conversations centering on a number of things, including psychological safety, organizational design, talent, and various other things related to the world of purpose. Max himself combines team coaching, leadership development, organizational design to develop organizations that are really capable of responding to the complexity and uncertainty of today's 21st century. He's got clients including Porsche, Adidas, Bayer, Chanel, and Novartis. He's spoken at numerous conferences around the world, in New York specifically and in Barcelona. He's based in the UK, out of Cambridge, with two sons and spends what little time he has trying to get a better at woodworking. That might be something we pick up on when we talk about the world of purpose. But Max, welcome to the Spark Baking Podcast. Thanks, Phil. Thanks for having me on. Um, one of the questions we talked about beforehand was about um, how you got into this. And I'd love to pick up on that because we could we could go on lots of different avenues on this. But I'd love to go back to 2012 and about how did you get into this work of doing what you do? What's the story behind that? Yeah, so um, after I left university, I kind of, popped around various different industries trying to figure out what was right for me and finally in 2012 I moved to New York and I landed my dream job making violent video games um now my NDA from <clears throat> this time is thicker than the bible so oh. I can't tell you exactly which game it was but just um you know think about the, the one violent video game you've heard of the one you don't want your kids to play it it was that one yeah um so uh obviously i was tremendously excited by this um and and got straight to work and i soon realized that the um the, the violence in the video game the nature of that experience was reflected in the culture of the organization behind it wow so yeah what i mean by this is for example we were work working like 60 70 80 hour weeks as routine um, it was highly centralized. Uh, there was a complete lack of um, any kind of psychological safety. Uh, I saw leaders telling people to shush, literally shush like this in meetings. Yeah, it was uh, it was it was pretty bad, very hierarchical mm. and um, unsafe, I think is how I'd describe it. Um, and this was uh, yeah, this was a rough introduction to like the world of video games. Yeah, that's interesting. So where did it go from there? Because once you once you discovered that and that cultural aspect, what happened next? Yeah, so I um, I got lucky. A, a producer joined um, from another video game company, um, and he was awesome. And he introduced us to this thing called Agile, um, and he actually gave me a book 
um, I still remember that day, the book was called Scrum, The Art of Doing Twice the Work in Half the Time. Took the book home, read it in one sitting, and it offered a new system for teams to get things done. Um, A new way of working that sort of broke through all of these um, issues around bureaucracy and lack of customer centricity. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was was really moved by it. And immediately we implemented it in our department, Um, starting in one team uh, and and sort of growing it from there. And it worked really well. And as a result of that, I I got promoted. I was soon leading a team of my peers. Um, I was invited into more strategic conversations. I started telling other teams, we introduced new tech and tools to help help enable it. it grew, it went really well from there. And I had a really exciting couple of years um, working on the game, making that happen until um, one day I said to, I said to my boss at the time, let's call him, let's call him Vladimir. I said to Vladimir, um, hey, I think this has legs. I think we should start to introduce this outside of our department. Could I have a role where I start to coach other teams and other groups in this wow. new way of operating? Look at the success we've had here. I'm sure it can make a difference elsewhere. Mm. And Vladimir, he said, no. He said, you will not change this organization. And all the like frustration and fatigue of of that experience just bubbled up. And I went home and I had a like nothing short of a mental health crisis. Mm. Um, And I came back to work on Monday and I just thought to myself, there has to be a better way. Yeah, yeah. This isn't how it has to be. We, the success the organization had came at the expense of the humans within it. Wow. And, wow. and that was a real turning point. And I, I, I eventually, uh, I left shortly after that and I set out to find a new way of organizing that put humans at the center of the experience, mm-hmm. both internal and external to the organization. I found a great community online of people trying to do this i met some wonderful people from a small consultancy called august and i uh, i joined up with them and we set out trying to change organizations for the better not at the expense of profit but in mm-hmm. service of a greater uh, purpose to to advance culture advance the conversation and advance the way that we just get work done we all spend you know 40 or 50 hours a week it might as well be something we we enjoy and find meaning and purpose in and I've been trying to do that every, ever since. Yeah, I, I love that. And you said something there's that you said at the service of a greater purpose. I think, you know, listeners of this podcast and clients that we work with and people we talk to, I think we have that in common in terms of finding a greater purpose. And uh, I remember working on my purpose in about 2011. I remember sitting in a cafe in Kensington High Street, I think it was, with a lady called Suki. Uh, and we were talking about my, me and my purpose. And we spent a lot of time doing it. But it took me quite a long time till I realized realized what my purpose was. And uh, I, I think the words around the fact that you don't discover your purpose, your purpose discovers you come to mind because I realized what it was for me. Um, but then over the next couple of years, I, I, I played with that word and what it meant for me. And, and, and I think I'm now really hooked on what my, word, my purpose is. And uh, we might talk about that later. Um, mm. what, what, do, what does purpose mean to you? Because we all have different definitions about this. What does that word purpose really mean? Yeah, um, I love that idea that your purpose finds you. That's definitely, definitely my experience. I think I didn't know that I needed purpose. I was just trying to get a paycheck. Yeah. Right. Um, but then when I found something that gave me intrinsic motivation to get up and get things done, that's when I knew I had purpose. I was just trying to um, get up and earn a paycheck week by week. But once I found purpose, I found that intrinsic motivation to actually make me want to make change happen in the world. And I feel like I knew the bigger why, like the the kind of North Star, the calling, the reason for being. Um, and it fit with, with me, my personality, my childhood experiences. Um, then that really was a huge, huge lever for me in, in, in how I show up. So in answer to your question, for me, purpose is about, um, it's about why. It's about why yeah. we do things. What's the dent we want to make in the universe? Yeah. And, and it's really interesting because we often come back to that word, don't we? You know, the, 
the dent you make in the universe. And, you know, we come back to Steve Jobs' word about what he said about purpose. Um, and, and, and interesting, I've just resubscribed to Simon Sinek's um, organization for a second year running because there's lots of information on, and I'm not plugging his website, but there's lots of stuff there on his uh website all on purpose and that's where you know we all talk about the the simon cynic podcast that's had millions of views but it's all about that why start with why was what his book is about and i think um lots of people push back on that but i believe it's true i think you have to understand that word why before you can do yeah. things and i think use that word intrinsic motivation i think there's a big thing around that because we all know that it's only when you get that internal motivation that you're going to inspire yourself to do things and really, I've just listened to a book um, called 4,000 Weeks. Uh, and yeah. interesting, in there, have you read it? Oh, that's interesting, yeah. I've just finished it literally last week. And the bit that really struck me about that was not, not just about we, you know, 4,000 weeks is about the average we all have around, but actually it's about how we, we all, when we, when we look at what our purpose is, we can go about making changes in our lives to try delivering that. But it's all about that word choice. And I think yeah. that's the bit that I've often used in my coaching about choice. And, and, you know, I've had lots of pushback from people saying, well, I don't have a choice. But my view is you do have a choice, but you just have to work out what you need to drop to change. things. And I think purpose is one of those things that once you get clear on your purpose and you understand what it is, you then can make choices in your life to help you align to whatever that thing is. Yeah. And that's a big thing for me, yeah. I think, uh, uh there's there's a lot that goes hand in hand with that word purpose and, and choice and that intrinsic motivation so i love you said there um yeah that speaks that speaks directly to the work i do with organizations which often starts with getting leaders to define the purpose define the why um because once the employee population understand that why it gives them choices it gives them the frame within which they can make decisions yeah. so tell the leaders this is an empowerment tool right you're giving them the boundaries within which they can make their own decisions because as long as they um are making decisions in service of that purpose great carry on you don't need to come back to me for approval as the as the boss um so i love that idea that purpose creates choice yeah and interesting, you just said there, it's the frame in which they can make decisions and use it as an empowerment tool. And I think that's really powerful. Uh, and then reflecting back on your conversation with your your boss, Vladimir, back in that violent video game manufacturer, you know, you're not going to change the organization. Uh, and you made it quickly move on because you realized there was a lack of alignment and therefore it didn't fit with what you were. Um, yes. It, it would be really interesting to go back to that organization 12 years later and see what's happening in there if they still exist. Every yeah. interesting. They're doing great. They're doing great. So, yeah, but they're doing great by one specific measure. And that specific measure is not a measure that I want to prioritize. I think yeah. there's a way of achieving revenue, achieving profit, achieving shareholder value through as a um as a result, not an objective. Does that make sense? Like yeah, yeah. as a byproduct not as a direct thing you're aiming for. Yeah. Um, and the thing you should be aiming for is purpose. It is um, culture, autonomy, like mastery, empowerment, yeah. engagement, and profit will come from that. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I, I talk from a coaching perspective. I talk about um, culture and commercial. And I often say to companies, you know, you can invite us in to come and help you make your business more commercial. And it's simple, revenue up, cost down, just sweat the asset. But that's not what we do. We want to work on the cultural side of a business because we know that by building culture, you're going to deliver the commercial, but you're going to do better for society. You're going to build a better humankind. And I think that's the bit that I, that I would work passionately on. And uh, and, and I, I just, you know, over the last few years, I purposely go out to work with purpose-led businesses because that's what I believe is where the future is. There are some businesses who just want to work commercially and that's okay. There's a place for them as well. I'm not stopping that. I want people to make money, but I want them to use money for making good, doing good. Um, whether that was B Corp or something else, but either way, I want them to be able to do something that engages employees um, yeah. and makes a, you know, makes a difference, difference as well, makes a dent in the universe. Can I ask you a question on that point? Because something I often struggle with as an external advisor 
to a senior leader who is obsessed with keeping the you know keeping the business going mm. is how to demonstrate a direct relationship between culture and the bottom line yeah. it's quite hard to draw a hard line there yeah. so let's say you they were working with um with a business focused leader how would you go about making that relationship clear to them making it obvious why they need to work on culture and how that will input what they're actually trying to yeah that's a really good question actually um so so i think there's two things i think some leaders get it and therefore they don't need persuading um yeah other leaders have got that view that they, they they know there's something out there and they want to do something with it um to me I think there's there's a plethora of businesses of being commercially led and there's a plethora of businesses of being culturally led. Um, I come back to businesses like Patagonia. Um, whatever you think of pa- Patagonia as a business, I think there's something there about um, let my people go surfing. You know, what is it about that business? When when um, when Patagonia was set up, it was a climbing business to build, make climbing equipment and, and it was built to, to make equipment for passionate people who wanted to be outdoors and as that business evolved the real thing was around you know let's understand what it makes to be a real commercial business but with a cultural basis so i think you know mm. there's, there's a lot of stories there and there uh, and if, if you've not read the book um which i can't remember the name was thinking now um it's really worth reading that book about what what the culture in patagonia was all about so i think that's one thing i think the other thing i think is um a lot of businesses who are commercially focused often have high staff attrition. They lose people. Um, mm-hmm. Back to that in terms of, you know, what's the productivity levels in the business? And my belief is that people come to work for one or two reasons. They either come to work for your money, and that's when you're just a commercial business, and they'll, they'll therefore they'll, they'll sell their business, their services to someone else who offers them more money when they're ready. Or they come to work with their hearts and mind and, and spirit. And therefore, mm. they want to be part of your business. And, and mm-hmm. those are the people who stay in your business and really give their all. Um, and, and they're your eight players because they buy into the values of the business and they produce mm-hmm. good results. But it's a really mm-hmm. nice place to work. And you get longer-term people. You get less staff attrition. The cost of hires goes down. Well, the cost of mishires go down. Um, and, and I think that morale and that engagement drives innovation. And if you get mm-hmm. innovation in the business, you can start uplifting your revenue, but people want to be passionately part of it. Um, yeah. I, I did a, a presentation actually last week um, on culture in business, and, and I quoted Peter Drucker from 2006. And, and I say quoted Peter Drucker because whether he said it or not, it's a different matter, but he said, oh, let eat strategy for breakfast. And, yeah. and, and it may have been taken out of contract, but he said this to Ford Motor Company at the time. And the principle there is, if you look at what he meant by that was, we can write great strategies in business. We can have great documents. But unless you get the culture right, people aren't going to align. And therefore, you're going to be like pushing water uphill. Whereas in nature, rivers run the course to the coast. They take the easy path. And I think culture helps that happen. So I did a a quick um, chat GPT Question. I asked, tell me what the benefits our culture are. And I've got some lovely statistics. Now they are chat GPT statistics, but there's some great. But who knows? Yeah, pardon? yeah. So who knows if they're real or not? Exactly. Who knows? But one of the come out is, you know, the, the, there's lots of things there about how you can increase revenue in a business, how you increase profitability, how you increase um, uh, willingness to, to be part of it. Your glass door scores go up. So there's yeah. lots of things that says it, when people are aligned to a great purpose, they become part of the business. That's my view yeah. on it. I, I need to go and do the research myself as well as the chat GPT. But hey, that was a good starting point. What's yeah. your, okay. What do you think about that? Oh, uh, so the way that I might convince a senior leader about this is um, to tell my story, to tell the story yeah. I told at the start. You talked about attrition and disengagement. Um, I was on a, I was on a good path that organization and ultimately I left not because, uh, I was getting a, I was getting a very good paycheck. I left because of the culture. I left because I needed something else. And I think a lot about, 
you know, like Dan Pink and drive motivation. Um, I think a lot about the cost of like talent retention and hiring, which is huge. Yeah. The um, the the brain drain, you yeah. know, the lack of the loss of institutional knowledge, and I think there's a lot of compelling arguments um, that you can make, but often finding a leader who who understands this and who knows their role in the change knows that they have to change as well um is one of the one of the critical kind of first battles yeah. that we have to yeah. um overcome when we go into an organization yeah so so here's a thought you know we we've been through a or traumatic period in business since 2020 and you might say before that as well if you think about the recession from 2007 stroke 8 through to 2013, 2014, we then went through the economy started to grow, pandemic came along. Um, So the world's been in turmoil. turmoil. And I think one of the things that business leaders say is, it's all very well you're coming and talking about purpose and culture, but you know what, we just need to give ourselves a lie. We we need to keep feeding the mouths that we've got. Because actually it's a a chaotic environment. So how do you Mm -hmm. come back from a business perspective? Um, It might be a culture takes time. But we need to make money mm. today is the question we often get from people. How do you confront yeah. an issue? Yeah. And it, it takes time and it takes investment. It takes real money to uh, to change a culture. Yeah. Um, yeah. Consultants don't come cheap. Uh, and how do you, and that's going to impact the profit and the bonuses and, and the ability to hire and the wages um, and the wages as well. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a story from a book called Reinventing Organizations um, by a guy called Frederick Lou, which was um, the Bible for me as I started doing this work. And he explores purpose-driven organizations around the world and tries to find the patterns um, that others can learn from. There's one story, I forget the organization, but um, the organization, the, the, the company was facing a, a cash crunch mm-hmm. and they were going to have to find a way to reduce the wage bill. And the leader was faced with a choice. He could fire a few people um, in order to get back into the black, or he could ask the employees what they should do. And so he held the town hall. He explained the situation and he sourced feedback and ideas from the group of people affected. And the decision they made was to all reduce their wages so that wow. everyone could remain employed until the company you know, righted, righted the ship. Mm. Now, this is a, um, a radical approach to leadership and to organization design. Because what this leader here is doing is he's designing systems within the organization, the wage structure. And instead of making those decisions in a closed room at the top yeah. with a um, lack of transparency, making a decision that could affects engagement and morale he's including many voices he's sourcing um collective intelligence Mm. to make a better decision for the purpose um of the organization i think that's a a fascinating example of the new mode of leadership the new mode of management and what what leaders can do as an alternative to traditional uh, kind of um traditional ways of solving for that problem so, so, so one of the and, and I totally agree, and I love that um, sourcing and collective intelligence. One of the problems we often see when we're working with companies, um, and, and interesting, I was running a, a workshop I was running recently um, using uh, Gustavo Rossetti's culture canvas, which I love as a template. Um, and one of the words or one of the phrases on there is about psychological safety, and yeah. often we see in businesses where. Um, the, the boss says, hey, we need to get your opinions on this. What do you think? But people are afraid to speak up. And you and I have talked about psychological safety before. Um, so how do you create an environment where people feel able to put their voices across without fear of retribution? Because this is one of the big things that we've talked about before, but people, yeah, political safety being banned around. But what's your, what's your thoughts on that but for the audience? Yeah. It's funny, you're... you're um... Your, the start of what you said there reminded me of 
back in this organization I used to work for, like we'd have brainstorming sessions where people would throw out ideas and each one was just shot down, shot down, shot down by Vladimir. And uh, eventually we just sat there in silence and waited for him to tell us what to do. So what kind of brainstorming is that? Because um, it, it wasn't... Um, it wasn't an exploratory conversation. It was just like, who has the best idea? And if you put yourself in a situation where you're trying to reduce the wage bill of a whole organization and you're trying to include all voices, you need to listen across that network of people, take advantage of um, their individual experience of the organization because we believe the people closest to the problem are often closest to the solution, right? The people close to the problem are often the people on the execution side of the business, on the front line. It's closest to the customer. They have the best data, so they probably have the the best um, ideas on how to how to uh, solve how to solve that. So, all as much to say is, if you are prepared to listen and include voices, you also need to create, as you say, an environment where those people will share up and share risky, probably some bad ideas without the fear of repercussion, um, yeah. without the fear that it's going to hurt their career prospects or, um, or future involvement in, mm. in other conversations. So yeah, this is a critical idea in the new mode of organizing people at scale in uh, kind of self-organization yeah. um, as opposed to hierarchy because we want to listen to those voices. Um, and answer your question, how do you create that? There's no silver bullet. It's not easy. Mm. Um, I've read a lot, or a big follower of the work of Amy Edmondson, Harvard professor, wrote, wrote several books on this, um, just released a new one, The Right Kind of Wrong, okay. um, about, about failure and smart risks and intelligent failure. And doing that thing that all leaders say they want, which is to uh, you know, fail fast, fail smart, uh, and learn from that. But how do we really make that happen? How do we bring it to life? Yeah. Um, there are three there are three strategies that Amy offers and I'm going to try and remember them one by one off the top of my head the first one is to set a learning frame on the problem right so leaders can set different types of frames as they face a challenge um, I'll give you an example of a frame let's say uh, this bottle of water if I told you this was 90% fat-free. Okay. That sounds pretty good. Pretty healthy. Well, I'm some of that. 90% fat-free. Pretty good. And then if I said, this bottle of water is 10% fat. Same data, same information. I've just put a different frame around this bottle of water. Yeah. That makes it much, much less. So a leader who wants to set a learning frame would say, look, we don't know what the right answer is. Here. We don't. We're moving through the darkness. And uh, we don't know what's going to come out the other end. We just know we need to achieve this outcome. Mm. So let's learn as we go in order to get there. Setting a learning frame makes it very easy to fail because failure becomes an opportunity to learn. Here are some mini scripts that leaders can use in order to, uh, to set that up front. You could say something like, this is totally new territory for us. So I'm going to need your input and ideas. Right? Try to make it really easy to contribute. Okay, um, I like that. This is complex stuff, so we will make mistakes. There are things we know and things we don't, and we need to figure it out together. Yeah. Right? Simple statements that set it up, um, create the tone, create the culture yeah. for psychological safety and for failure. No. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love, I love the point there, you know, just picking up on one of those sentences. This is complex stuff. We will make mistakes. But that's okay, because if we're going to learn, we've got to make mistakes. Because if we don't make mistakes, we're not going to learn. And I love that yeah. it's just as a different frame. And it's an inevitability. We will make mistakes. Mm. It's going to happen. So let's just get used to that idea. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, when when we learn things, share it transparently so we can all benefit. Yeah. And, and you know that's one of the biggest issues, isn't it? A lot of companies do not share mistakes transparently. In fact, I say the truth about that. A lot of people do not share mistakes transparently because they're not able to or not willing to, uh, and it creates that tension in the, in them because it stops them wanting to try things. You know that fear of failure, which we know is one of the things that holds most human people being back. 
it, and it comes from that fear of fear of making a mistake which actually when you start to see a mistake as just the learning process that's okay yeah i mean it's it's hard to make mistakes but then it's harder to like have to talk about it with lots and lots of people right yeah it makes it even worse yeah so we have to make that okay so what comes next what's the next you, you said there were three three key things there what's the what's the next thing yeah, you, yeah so obviously setting that that you know learning frame of the problem key second strategy is to invite participation as a senior leader make sure that all voices um all people have a chance to speak and when they speak they are heard people actually listen to them <clears throat> so excuse me um I'm sure many of your listeners will have had the experience of being on a in a meeting or um, this particularly happens in a remote world on on conference calls <clears throat> where the conversation in the room is dominated by one or two voices and a few people in the room just say like hello at the start of the call and then goodbye yeah. at the end of the call nothing in between yeah. um, and I wonder what I always wonder what they're wondering what they're thinking about those people what ideas do they have that we're not benefiting from or hearing what are we missing out on what information do they have mm -hmm. that we aren't learning from and so um something a leader can do is to invite participation yeah. from all voices in a conversation um yeah. to say something like i notice we're hearing from just a few people i want to invite other people to step up and take space yeah um that's <laughs> isn't it uh, we're, we're applying this to to business but actually any organization where there are more than two people in the room you need to be able to apply these type of thinking that's thinking because you're not going to move anything forward unless you have that full participation so think of the right frame you know i'm thinking about i did some work with our local parish council at some stage you need to make sure more than one voice is heard otherwise you just get that train of thought and people often yes. are not not able or not willing, or not capable of speaking up for one of no, or a number of reasons. Actually, that yeah. thing about making sure everyone is heard, somebody's got to really take responsibility for that, if it's yeah. not the organizational norm. Exactly. And, you know, it's one thing to get diverse voices at the table. It's another thing to have them all actually included and mm -hmm. um, benefit from that diversity tons of studies show that diverse teams make better decisions um but it only helps if um we're actually uh hearing from them yeah yeah that's interesting isn't it so we've got setting the learning frame inviting participation getting people in there and then responding productively when someone shares an idea no matter how bad it is say something like huh interesting tell me more easy right um but what that does is well, it does three things it tells the person that although even if this is a bad idea mm. in future they are welcome to bring other ideas to the table which might be better ones which might be good ones if someone's shot down in one conversation in future conversations they're going to hold back they don't want that feeling again even if they have a better idea in future yeah the other yeah. thing is the idea itself might be bad, but the problem they're trying to solve for is one worth exploring. So you could like back up the um, train of thought a little bit and then take a divergent path to find a new idea which does solve for that problem. Yeah. Um, so that's why even the bad ideas are worth responding productively to because of future benefit that they might hold. You're investing in that person. You're yeah. investing in what they have to say. Yeah. Um, which will pay off in future yeah you know the, the, the thought that's gone through my heart, mind as you're thinking here is about children and, and how we raise children uh oh, yeah to be able to bring any idea forward and and you know the, the, the theory i have you know theory the, the story i talk about here is around you know the, the child who goes to school and and you know in years gone by and i think a lot of schools are now changing but you know the, the view was you just sat and listened you weren't able to contribute and then they come home to family and, and they don't feel they can put their ideas forward because dad or mum says, no, that's a bad idea. We can't do it like that. And it stops the conversation. Yeah. 
with what you're saying there, just thinking about family, a learning frame, all ideas count, invite to participation, involving the children in that conversation. Just think yeah. what richness of conversation you can have around the dinner table if all yeah. yeah, all kids of whatever age felt like they could contribute to the conversation. Just because you're four mm. years old doesn't mean your ideas don't count. Right. And the, the amount of parents with teenagers who are like, my teenager doesn't talk to me. I've got no idea what's going on with their lives. But that starts at an early age, right? Like, you know, that book, um, How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and Listen So Kids Will Talk. Yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. My dad gave me that when I, and I've got two boys, a two-year-old and a five-year-old. And uh, it's amazing reading that and looking at the parallels between um, that and coaching. You're a coach, you know all about listening. Yeah. Um, and leadership, right? How to listen so that people will tell you the problems they're having in the organization. Like, I want my kid to come home and tell me when his best mate didn't play with him at lunchtime. Um, and you have to really change your your mode of being mm-hmm. in order for in order for t- to build that trust, build that relationship, build that psychological safety, so that they mm-hmm. tell you those stories. I, I think not a master of it. By the way, I'm not. I haven't perfected it by any means. Don't worry. I've got an 18 year old and a 21 year old. And they'll probably tell tell you I'm definitely not a master at it. Um, interesting. I, I remember buying a book, and I can see it across my bookshelf now, um, by Edward de Bono. How teach your child how to think. Um, I remember reading that way before I had children because there were some really good principles in there. Um, and I think there's something there about allowing people to think, but also um, the bit that that book doesn't talk about, which I think we do need to talk about more is allowing people to feel as well. Um, because you know, thinking one thing, but allowing people to express the emotion of what's going on in an organization or in a family setting is so key as well. And I think when you're talking here about, um, you know, creating psychological safety, part of that is, yeah, tell me what's going on, but tell me how you feel. Yeah. That, I think, is a really powerful piece that's often forgotten because we're such right. a thinking process here where they're not catching the real feeling of what's going on for people, especially in, you know, in an organization where, you know, uh, how many emails do we get today about, you know, mental health at work, but let's capture that and, and allow people to speak up, which, mm. which you said just now, you know, you might get divergent thinking, actually divergent thinking is what you need, but mm. you only get that when you're allowing people to really be who they are. And that's yeah. the feeling and the emotional side. So I wonder whether, yeah, to me, that's a, a massive part that is often overlooked by people. Yeah. I think the advice that I always give leaders who are focused more on the facts than the feelings is to say, like, emotions are data. Which, I sound like a robot when I say that, but what I mean is sometimes people might feel a reaction to an idea and not know why, not have good rational cause for that feeling. But there's just something about it which doesn't sit right, which mm-hmm. is worth exploring. Maybe there's a DEI issue at the heart yeah. of it yeah. that we can't put our finger on. Yeah. Um, and it's gonna it's gonna stop someone bringing their whole self to yeah. work, which is important. And do you know what I love about that? You know, we often talk in English language about having a gut feel, but that gut feel is the instinct. And, and often, uh, you know, I think about myself, I'll go back, go through something, and I had a gut feel about something, but I didn't speak up about it, or I didn't notice it, or I didn't pay attention to it. And then mm. when I look back in hindsight, I say, if only I'd listened to what was going on for me at the time, in hindsight, but actually here I am, and I didn't listen, but actually having that, that for you to say, okay, this doesn't feel right, whatever it is, whether it's oh, a deal yeah. or something else, but that gut feel is what we need to yeah. think. Yeah. We've all had that feeling. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. I knew it. Yeah, I exactly. Knew it. I knew it. Exactly. Yeah. I, I think that's a. And look, we, we're talking about lots of things here. And I think that there's, there's loads of purpose we uh, pray to we can go here around this word of cyclical safety about building purpose. Um, I, I'd love to just come back to your story again um, in terms of where it, where it goes. Because obviously, um, in the words of someone many years ago, it's a never ending story. Um, we tell stories in business to bring businesses alive and purpose is often and, and in fact if i just say that if we talk about culture culture is built up around the stories we tell 
So, so your violent video game company had a story to tell. And that mm. story pervaded the beliefs, the traditions, the, the way we do things around here. But I wonder how do we create stories in business that are slightly different? Because if I've been running a business following one track, but I don't want to change to a different track, but create a different story. Mm -hmm. Change stories in businesses when we've been ingrained in doing it this way before. A lot of, yeah, this making me think like the project I'm currently on and a few projects I've been on recently, um, which is working with senior leadership teams to redefine the the um, the values, purpose, vision, um, as because they see that as a strategic lever. They want to say to new talent, yeah. uh, to existing talent, like this is what we stand for. This is why we're here. And so we reach into the big bin of values and pull out words like, you know, courage or innovation, whatever it is. And unless there is meaning and story behind that, it could just be words on a wall or on a PowerPoint yeah. slide. Humans are very much programmed to sit up straight when you hear someone say, once upon a time. Um, that's ingrained from an early age as a signal that it's time to listen. Uh, um, yeah. And so I use stories a lot in my work to, to make points. Uh, about about what I'm trying to say because it really um, so the book Sapiens talks a lot about how humans are really good at storytelling yeah and it um, is one of the dominant kind of currencies that we have for communication mm -hmm. for connection and uh, the ability of a leader to to tell tell a good story super critical in getting people on board yeah yeah. And do you know, there's, there's something there about that word engagement as well, because once upon a time, are you sitting comfortably? You're, you're opening up that mindset to think about the story, what's coming next. And mm. I think we can all uh, rekindle that emotion of being back at school, listening to story time. And if you went back in society, as you said, you know, sapiens, is that what that we talk about there in terms of um, how stories evolved and they communicated a, a a purpose and in business often we we sometimes have that story but actually um i liken it to the, the campfire you know i i uh i was a scout many years ago and and the key that brought things back for me was sitting around the campfire and i think in business we often need to have our campfire stories we need to mm. sit around the table sit around the table and talk about what got us here Mm. And where I disagree with Marshall Goldsmith when he says about what got you here won't get you there, I think actually what got you here gives you some basis of evidence to say, look, let's learn from what we've got and mm. let's carry the bits of our tradition forwards to do something else. So mm -hmm. I think we can, we can go forwards with what we've what got us here, but we just need to, we need to make sure the campfire story is still alive. And if we need yeah. to change, let's just recognise that what got us here has got some real power and merit in it and we can do something we're going in the future as well yeah like the the change theory that i believe in is the transition away from hierarchy and command and control leadership mm. into something more agile responsive like self-organizing more flat but the critical point to make there is hierarchy and traditional leadership served us well for a really long time because the world was predictable and because it was uh um it was rational it was more logical yeah. Yeah. um and there are elements of hierarchy that i think still like hold true today we're not going to throw the baby out of the bathwater decisions still need to be made um within a certain group who have the right level of influence and authority and experience uh, and we you know, transparency, although I believe in defaulting to open, yeah. um, there are a shadow side to transparency, which can breed some mistrust. Um, yeah. So we're not going to, we're not going to lose all of that. We're not going to lose the whole story. We're mm. not going to lose our whole identity, but sometimes it just needs a remix, a reframe for the world in which we find ourselves. Yeah. And interesting, isn't it? When you say that, I think there's something around, you know, if we, if we look at the world of branding, 
branding, you know, a lot of people see branding as being the pretty picture on the wall, the logo. But actually, it's the story. It's the it's the it's the iceberg below the water that we need to work on, because we've got to make sure we're totally aligned with our positioning in the marketplace. Um, and I think something there when you talk about you know how do you how do you deal with that transition away from hierarchy and making the changes, we need to make sure that the business is aligned to what its common purpose is, and therefore we have to make sure that everybody's in alignment with with the way we do things around here in the past, but also now, and we need to put that structure in place to enable us to adapt. And that's a big point yeah. that a lot of people forget about, the structure to enable us to adapt for the future, to, to, to deal with what's coming at us. Yeah, and that's the work I do as an organization designer, putting that structure that's gonna allow us to change and evolve as we go. Okay. Um, so reorganization is more continuous than every, yeah. every couple of years. I love that. So look, we're going to come come to the end of the, the podcast here, just in terms of time wise, and I, I I think there's another conversation at some stage, Max. But I'd love to just to ask you a final question, if you don't mind. Um, and that's question. Um, in fact, two questions actually, possibly. And the first question is, um, let's just cast our minds back to when the young Max was starting out in business. You, you've gone to New York. What's the piece of advice you would give that young Max now, with what you now know, with hindsight? Because your gut feel. We talked about this now. Probably told you something then. I wonder what you would tell yourself now. Oh, deep cuts, Phil. Um, what would I tell myself now? New York is a very ambitious place. America is a very capitalist place. And I had, and I was in my mid 20s and I wanted cash to burn on things I didn't need. And um, so at the time, I oriented towards profit. And that was the right thing for me at the time. And in the long run, this is a cliche, but in the long run, you realize that you do need to find purpose even over profit in order to make a sustainable career uh, happen. Yeah. Do what you love is not the most groundbreaking advice that I could give anyone, but uh, it is, it is true. But, but don't you think that's wonderful? I, I have a daughter who would love to go and live in New York. Uh, she wants to be involved in the fashion industry. Uh, she's she's set aside from that, and and another father. I want to encourage her to do what where her heart takes her. One of the concerns I have, and I get emotional when I talk about this. One of the concerns I have is the fashion industry and what what it construes there, and especially going to walk it work in New York City, because exactly what you said there. It's it's capitalist. It's profit driven. It's about the new look. It's about spending money and buying things to build your self-esteem on the outside. Whereas actually we should be looking on the inside. Mm. So I think your bit of advice there around purpose even over profit is really key because we have to look at that. And, you know, if I'm educating my 18-year-old daughter and if she ever listens to this, I'd love her to take something away from that around building an intrinsic motivation is what you said earlier around what is it I'm going in there for and how can you know she's got an, she's got an ambition of changing the face of fashion for good and I think there's something there what you say there about you know purpose even over profit and even in a capitalist society so so interesting when you go back and look at that now um there's lots of questions about how you would make that happen but I think that the, the, the hook there or the link there is start with start with why yeah why is that important and actually from all the conversation we're having now um the conversation is important because that's the way society needs to change my uh my wife works in fashion when we got to new york but she was very specific she wanted to work in sustainable fashion the fashion that could solve for the climate crisis she wanted to move away from fast fashion so even within that world she found her meaning away from the like the ephemeral uh, superficial like tiktok instagram world of fashion to yeah. something that actually held a greater purpose for her and um i think you know in in any industry someone can find that but it's just about getting clear on what that is and why the real longer term reason that they want to do it yeah, I, I think that's true. I, I think that's a great thing, that longer term reason. 
Um, but I, I love asking that question about the advice you would give yourself because I think um, it does start to open up those channels of, of that's what I would have done, but actually that's what you do now as well. Mm. And I think that's the, the key bit. So, um, so let's come back to the word story just to wrap up in that case. Mm -hmm. Where does the story go next for you? Yeah, um, uh, big change in my life is I'm going freelance as of uh, November. Uh, I'm breaking out on my own. Um, and I'm looking forward to a little bit more flexibility over who I work with. Um, there's a nonprofit I've been chatting to for a while that I want to do some pro bono work with. There are new collaborators that I want to learn from yeah. and uh, new new experiences that I want to have. The trade-off there is certainty. I don't have a regular paycheck now and yeah. I have no idea what that's going to be like. Um, but it's uh, at the very least, I'll have more time for parenting and woodworking. And at the very best, I'll be um, have more autonomy and direction and control over how I live my purpose and what I want to do in life. Yeah. So that's where, that's where the story goes next. I just signed my first uh, freelance um, gig this morning. So oh. uh, things are looking up. That's nice. That's nice. And, and, and I love that. And, uh, uh, and my, my urge to you would be to make sure you still pick up those woodworking tools because it's very easy as a freelancer to get consumed by all this work coming in and forget yeah. about the reason you're doing it in the first place. Um, yeah. And I think that's a really exciting place to be. But remember, the woodworking tools still bring you purpose. Absolutely. Great um, advice. How would people find you? Obviously, it would be great to put that in the show notes at the end, but how would people find Max? Yeah, I think I'm pretty easy to find. I don't think there are many Max Sathers in the world. Um, okay. Surname is S-A-T-H-E-R. It's an old Norwegian name. And uh, yeah, I'm on LinkedIn, quite active. Uh, so yeah, look me up, get in touch. Happy to help. Perfect. Thank you. Max, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I'm sure there's lots of other questions we could have asked, but it's been a, a great meander through the world of purpose, psychological safety, understanding different ways of organizing organizations and designing organizations. Um, so I love that. And then um, there's some great takeaways there um, from some of the books you read and the, the information you put across there. So thank you, Max. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Phil. This was really fun. Really appreciate you inviting me on and uh, listening to what I have to say. I look forward to doing it again. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast as much as I've enjoyed recording it. This is just one of the great conversations I've had the privilege of being part of since I started recording the Sparks Baconian podcast. So please go back and listen to some of the others. There's some great content in there for some great contributors. And also, while you're at it, please leave a review of this show with your comments because that helps other people like you find this content. And we want to bring about the change that we really know matters to people. It helps us grow. And also, think about what actions you want to take, because there's no point just listening passively. We want you to pick it up and do something with it. So what are the three key things you want to do? I can't hold you accountable, but if you want to, drop me a note, phil at igniumconsult.com. We're always keen to listen to what you have to say, and actually introduce guests to us that you think will bring relevance to other people. We wish you well. Give us a call. Let us know what you think. Give us a review. Thank you.